Hello, this is Into the Greenwood. I'm Rosie. And I'm Kathy. And today we're going to be looking at the Kelpie and the Waterball. Yeah, it's um, it was quite a hard one to find, shockingly. Yeah. When we decided to do Kelpie stories, we weren't expecting it to be so hard to find one. But we did. <laughs> we did. Uh, not one with really any variants at mm-hmm. all. So the analysis is less about comparing and more about just different interpretations of the same tale. Mm -hmm. And we did want to give a quick content warning for discussion of sexual assault. It's not within the tale itself, but we do speculate about what some of the things could symbolise. That being said, hopefully it's not too dark and that you enjoy it. Long ago, on the island of Isla, there lived a crofter with a huge stock of cattle. One day, a strange calf was born among them, black as coal, with ears half the size they should have been. It was fast growing and had a terrible temper. The wise woman of the island recognised it for what it was at once, and instructed the farmer to lock the calf in the barn for at least seven years, fed on the milk of three cows. The wise woman was well respected, and so the farmer heeded her advice. Many years later, his daughter was grazing the cattle down by the loch. She had heard it was haunted by a dangerous water horse, but felt quite safe sitting down by the bank with the cows. She was unconcerned when a young man approached her. He wore fine clothes and had long dark hair, and a smile she found quite charming. So when he asked her to do him the favour of combing his hair, she was happy to oblige. He lay down with his head in her lap, and she began to unknot his hair but to her dismay she found it was tangled with water weeds, such as only grew in the depths of the loch. She knew that if she screamed it would be the death of her, so she kept her fear to herself, and continued to work at his hair until he fell asleep. Then she carefully untied her apron strings, and slid the apron slowly onto the ground with his head still resting on it. Heart pounding, she leapt to her feet and took off towards home. She was nearly at the houses when she heard the thundering of hooves behind her. She glanced over her shoulder to see the stranger, now in the likeness of a horse, was nearly upon her. The bull house, cried the wise woman from her cottage. Open the bull house! The crofter's daughter rushed to the barn and flung open the doors. The water bull sprang from the barn, cast its gaze about the scene, then rushed to meet the water horse. The two clashed and fought, driving each other all the way to the sea, and none could tell which would best the other. The next day the body of the bull was found on the shore, bloodied and spoiled, and the water horse was never seen nor heard from again. So Cathy, or Rosie, on a scale of your siblings nickname you Asipatl to your sibling pushes you into the river so that she can marry your true love. What? How do we feel about this story? <laughs> hmm. Where should I break the scale? <laughs> um, I think... I think despite the dramatic ending, I'm going to come down on the Asipatl 
end mm. of the spectrum because I don't know, it doesn't feel like this folktale really lets all of the emotion breathe that is yeah. in the story. Yeah. It it feels to me like when I think about everything that happens, I kind of imagine it as being like quite a long story. Quite a few things happen. It mm-hmm. like takes place over several years, kind of. Yeah, we have a huge time skip. But when I wrote it down, it was a few paragraphs. I think they could have given us more, but I don't think I've really found a version that does give us more than that, that isn't like a kind of more um, a modern story tale, storyteller's interpretation of it to make it like more entertaining. Yeah, the only one that is noticeably longer is the uh, the Kelpie's Last Battle, that mm. one that you found, and that goes into dialogue and has a few more asides to the audience in that style of telling, which mm. is quite nice and enjoyable, but yeah. not what we're going for as much. Yeah, and it was kind of hard to find, like at first, a lot of like verifiable sources for this one. Yep. Um, so I was quite faithful to the version that you found in the Catherine Briggs because that one I felt confident in. Yeah, she attributes that one to Francis Campbell, which is a very well-known collector of of folk tales. Um, Mm -hmm. But they all tell it in the same kind of restrained and distant fashion when they're Mm -hmm. collecting them. I don't know if that's because some of the collectors were from London and less engaged, but Campbell wasn't. He was a Scottish mm. guy, so it sometimes seems strange to me that it's not, like, you don't imagine that it was performed with exactly these words. Yeah. It wasn't a transcript. Yeah. Some of it, because we looked, we looked at quite a few Kelpie stories, and some of it strikes me, because they were all quite short mm-hmm. and quite... um sort of summarizing mm-hmm. um and some of it strikes me as if like the way kelpie stories are told it's kind of a bit less about the story and a bit more about like did you know that we have a kelpie in this love <laughs> here here's what happened because yeah. we have a kelpie and this is this is what happened and why we know that we have a Kelpie. Yeah. And everyone knows about Kelpies, but our particular personal story is this. Yeah, because yeah. there's, like, no proper explanation in the story about, like, what a Kelpie is, what a water bill is, what's going on with any mm-hmm. of that. There was a bit in the Kelpie's Last Battle, I think that one attributes the bull's specialness to being a fairy bull. The one in the Briggs book says water bull and I just went with that one because (laughs) it's another fantastical creature that's well known Mm -hmm. across different like stories in different places. Yeah, but again the, the expectation clearly is that you already know the general motives and desires of a Kelpie 
and the general purpose of the water bowl, mm. which I found very interesting because actually I didn't really know those <laughs> things yeah. at all. Um, Kelpies, I don't actually think before we started researching for this episode that I'd actually heard a proper Kelpie story. Mm. I know about them as a monster that kills people mm. in like mythical encyclopedias, but that was actually it. Yeah, it was one of those ones where I knew what they were. I was sure that I'd heard stories, but then when I tried to track down the stories that I remembered, I couldn't find them. It was mm-hmm. just really quite difficult to find one with enough to it that we could really get into it. So, a few things on Kelpies. Um, but in this story, um, we call it a water horse, although there are some differences. People tend to use Kelpie and Ehushka interchangeably. They're both mm-hmm. um, man-eating water horses that can shapeshift into people. Some people have argued that Kelpies are just in streams in the sea, I think, mm-hmm. and then the Ehushka is in lochs. Mm-hmm. But there is some debate about whether these are true differences or not um, yeah. and if they used to be different and have now just been used interchangeably for so long but yeah and then when it boils down to it it's thought that kelpie the word kelpie might have come from the gallic word for uh, like a colt like a male foal mm-hmm. and ehushka just means water horse so kind of <laughs> they both just mean horse <laughs> so <laughs> so here we are <laughs> yeah so some things about kelpies they're usually black in colour they um, often in a lot of stories they have a thing where if you touch them you stick to their skin and they drag you under the water to eat you um, and then a really famous one is like the concept of the kelpie's bridle mm-hmm. and if you can steal it then you can enslave the kelpie and apparently some people have used that to build castles and houses yeah at the price of a horrendous curse that ended their family line so um, maybe that's not recommended i'm just i'm naming no names um. yeah <laughs> i'm not referencing any kind of lead <laughs> at all and then they're supposed to be able to shapeshift into people and they seem to particularly like preying on women and children. That's the main things about them. They often like will be standing around and they're meant to be like a really beautiful horse that's perfectly saddled, ready to ride, mm-hmm. and then someone jumps on its back and it drags them under the water. Yeah, which you can argue is a moralistic slant and just a general anti-thievery mm. um, fable but it seems kind of a meme in a way not because I'm pro-stealing but because if you find a horse like it's it's slightly fair enough that you might ride it up to the castle (laughs) or something if it's a long way away and be like I found this horse yeah and then water bulls what I could find about them um, is it's very similar to a kelpie, but they're sort of less often malevolent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
can be, might not be. They turn into people, they come from the water, they seem to also be carnivores. And they can interbreed with normal cattle. And in some places that means that um, the birth of such a calf will kind of curse the herd and you need to kill the calf by any way but drowning because drowning won't kill it. Sometimes it's like born um, just skin and muscle and no bones and it's dead and it kills the mother too. Ooh. And it's it, like it's just kind of what sounds like a really bad pregnancy for a cow. Yeah. And then, but in Scotland, it's much more common that they're, they're considered like a particularly good um, yeah. beast that you can then like breed really good cattle from. And the only deformity is smaller than normal ears because the water bull has no ears. I thought the water bull was quite interesting and it's not exactly the same but it did remind me of the versions of rashi goats that mm. had a magical uh, calf yeah. coming and helping her and there was also then another oh yeah and then there's also the tail which is even further removed than the rashi goats one but there's the white cow with lewis mm. um, which Again, is a magical cow that comes in and saves people's lives. And I thought it was interesting that actually I haven't heard of many magical cow stories. <laughs> um, but that it also makes sense that maybe that was a larger piece of folklore that we've lost as it's less and less common for people to own cows and to be mm. aware of the herd and... Yeah. be able to differentiate their animals and things like that um, cow, magical cow stories I'm more familiar with um, tend to be the ones about it's um, a cow that produces endless milk yeah. for like everyone and then one person steals it and the cow leaves and never comes back yeah that's essentially the white cow of this yeah. um, and I thought it was sort of worth pointing out the other similar tales, mainly because immediately the wise woman knows exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. And while it's not uncommon to have some implied witch or wizard figure know exactly what mm. to do with this supernatural creature, I feel like it ties into the fact that there's very little explanation of either one of the creatures, mm -hmm. and that there's just ancient yeah. historical yeah. tales that we've we've lost that, that we're supposed to be able to recognise these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with this old woman, I think it feels like we get, once again, that figure in the tale that we've spoken about a couple of times who seems to know how the tale is supposed to end. Um, and it's like their job to put the pieces in place so that we get the conclusion that we want. Yes. Very much so. So I have, I have some thoughts about the general themes of the story and like perhaps what's going on here. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of it as like a story about the balance of kind of 
chaos and order and civilization and wild and mundane and magic. Mm-hmm. And the bull, as half normal cow, half magical creature, is this sort of um, border, grey area, gatekeeper sort of figure. Yep. And that kind of becomes its job to stand on the border maintain the border so when there's this invasion of the supernatural in the form of the kelpie the bull then fulfills its role of driving away the kelpie um and then you get the bull then can't survive this because we can't have the meeting of these two worlds that exists in the existence of the bull so the bull's dead but the kelpie it's ambiguous i think it's like likely they're saying the kelpie didn't come back but we're not saying it died either, because you can't destroy the other world. You can't destroy the supernatural. You can only keep them apart, maintain the separation and the order. Yeah, you can only keep it at bay for as long as you're in charge of the storm. Yeah. And that was kind of what I got from that, is it just being about kind of restoring natural order. Mm. Yeah, especially with the fact that it's a slightly domesticated mm-hmm. strange calf and it literally protects her at the gates of the house and yeah. the cowshed. Yeah, it prevents the magical invader from coming any further into the world where it doesn't belong. We can sort of generally say it's definitely got something in there about beware of strange men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried to track down anyone having more thoughts than just that one sentence Mm -hmm. (laughs) about that. Um, Incredibly hard to do. Mm. Everyone just says, well, yeah, clearly, it's about telling young women to not be charmed by strange, handsome men. (laughs) And then that's the end of that. I mean, I don't know. We could maybe talk about that a bit further. (laughs) We could ask about if it was people from the next village over or if it was much more concerned with travelling merchants or Mm -hmm. people from another country and then is it slightly more acceptably about not wanting a breakdown of community Mm -hmm. or is it just to make everyone more anxious and more afraid that people are out to get them all of the time. Uh Um, Yeah, no one seems very interested in writing longer essays about that Mm -hmm. relative to Kelpies, which makes me a bit sad. Yeah, I think it'd be an interesting one. There's definitely, like, we're definitely worried... We're worried about the unknown, we're worried about people that we don't know and we can't trust. Mm-hmm. And some parts of the Kelpie stories where um, children are going missing, women are going missing, um, feels to me like a bit similar to when a particularly gruesome murders would be attributed to werewolves. Mm-hmm. Um, feels a little bit a little bit like that and it can function both as an explanation for something unbearable that you can't believe has happened and you can't believe a human would do 
and also as a way to control both children and women. Yeah, I think I thought exactly the same. And another thing that adds into that is the fact that when in Kelpie stories, uh, the Kelpie does kill usually a young woman, the only thing that is left behind is some, some viscera. Mm. Maybe her lungs, maybe her heart. Ooh. That's it. And it made me think very much of when you said that that's one of the interpretations people have for Red Riding Hood and, mm. and werewolves and things like that. It's a way, yeah, like you say, of, of control of the narrative and people. But I think it's also in the way that all stories do. They let you try and confront something horrifying, something painful, something upsetting with enough distance that it's less threatening mm. um, and you may be more likely to be able to process some of it mm-hmm. than when it just happened in real life. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like um, even today when a person does horrifying, unspeakable things, we tend to call them a monster. Mm-hmm. And when people talk about sort of meeting that kind of person before knowing what they were like, they'll say mm. things like, but he didn't look like a monster, but she didn't seem like she would do that. Like, yeah. she, they, they just, I couldn't, and we're shocked that we can't tell the monster is, and it's very unsettling to have to admit that really they're just other people, and other people do do these horrible things. We like to have that that separation. It makes you feel a lot safer psychologically mm. than acknowledging that that's just another person yeah. that's done this act of horrendous cruelty. Yeah. Again, there's then comfort in a story that gives you what, like, things that feel like tools that you can mm. use against this, like... Um, some Kelpie stories tell you that, um, like, if you have, if you put, like, Rowan above your threshold or Rowan in the shape of a cross, the Kelpie can't get into your house. Mm-hmm. Just things like that that are supposed to make you safe. So then I had a little bit about just the combing of the hair. Mm-hmm. I just kind of thought it added to the symbolism of the kind of detangling of the two worlds. It's in untangling the hair, seeing the, the human hair from the water weeds that allows her to see the truth. Mm-hmm. And this isn't a man, it's a supernatural um, creature. Yes, uh, it's also a position of really, really serious vulnerability. Though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was one article that was actually about a different folktale, but did bring up this this one in its analysis. And it was saying, when this is true or not, that the uh, Kelpie going to sleep in her lap was actually a euphemism for sex. Mm. Uh, and that, in particular, it's worth noting that she has to cut her skirt away mm-hmm. to run away and be safe. That being the case, are we even more interested in 
everything that's being sacrificed to keep this supernatural world at bay. Mm. Um, how willing or unwilling is she in this circumstance? Is this another reinforcement of the stay away from strange men? Because mm. you don't know what they are going to take from you. Mm-hmm. Or ask of you. Um, yeah, and it's that interpretation kind of added to by the fact that he falls asleep. It's a very, like, um, she kind of grabs her clothes and sneaks out the door kind of thing. I don't think folktales always have to have awful adult themes in the background. I think just because you can explain something like that doesn't mean you have to, and that was the way it was intended. But I think particularly here when we already have Kelpies being a threat to young women in particular, and it takes a particular strength of mind to say, well, that well, that's a supernatural creature, <laughs> but I'm just going to sing him to sleep and then run away. <laughs> I don't think that maybe everybody would be capable of that. You can get into quite uncomfortable territory with it because... Very much so. Like... She, um, in, in some versions it says she wants to scream, but she chooses not to. And that feels a bit like, you know, just don't struggle and you won't get hurt. Mm-hmm. Don't make a fuss and you won't get hurt. Just Very wait for so. it to be over and then run away. And then run away when he's distracted or asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, which is an incredibly awful message but, you know, we theoretically have laws against this now, and mm-hmm. conviction rates are, what, 2%? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you have things where a tighter-knit community is able to deal with things like this. They don't want to make a fuss about this because they don't want um, to affect the woman's reputation. Mm-hmm. But they can perhaps subtly ostracize the man and get rid of him quietly yeah or maybe her father or her brothers will take it upon themselves to have a little chat quietly yes and no one speaks about it again but you also have that same thing of like listen if this happens to you um it's bad we all know it's bad but you can't risk people finding out this happened to you and we would rather that you live um, and are able to marry well. So just don't say anything. Don't make a fuss. Just get away when you can. Like you say, an incredibly uncomfortable place that you can take this analysis. Um, but I think it's worth mentioning and worth bringing up when the traditional interpretation of folktales is something that was told by women, for women, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, that's a bit reductionist, but it works for what I'm trying to say here. And that, um, we'll get into this more when we do Tam Lin, but you can couch things in a story that are very hard to say mm-hmm. in a plain fashion. Mm-hmm. And 
it, it becomes a, a kind of ritual way of passing on knowledge and support and a mm-hmm. guideline of how to act if this happens to you. Yeah, and it can be cathartic to tell a story where um, there is a saviour that rushes in at the last moment before the Kelpie actually reaches her. Yeah. And, like, we can also talk about why, like, that saviour is a strong masculine force, (laughs) but... (laughs) Yes, I actually... So in the um, excerpt that I sent you from Catherine Biggs, it does mention that in one of them... um, it seems to do away with the Kelpie and makes it a rejected rival suitor. Mm. Um, and the lover, I think, works with the Black Waterfall mm. to rescue her. Um, and I'm sure that there would be some variants where the lover could transform into the Black Waterfall. Mm. Like all, all of the extra bits of symbolism and shape-shifting and transformation that we like adding into a tale if it wasn't there originally. Mm-hmm. Um, but between those variants and the fact that the Kelpie is only in the form of a man for this very brief interlude with her presumably in an isolated field on the banks of the river or loch or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then immediately transforms back and she is chased by hooves instead of footsteps. Is it a way of transforming him back into a monster after what he did? You can quite literally be like, oh, he's showing his true colours. Mm-hmm. Um, you wanted to be a monster from the depths of a loch. You don't want it to be your next door neighbour. Yeah. Someone that this had happened to... They can't name the man. They can't even say that it's happened to them without risking everything. But they're able to somehow tell someone about it by talking about water horses. Um, Obviously we have no proof of this, but I suppose just anecdotally, and I'm sure most women would agree with me, there is a way that you can talk about a man giving you a creepy feeling that women will pick up mm. um, and in a way that men don't always or don't understand what you mean. Mm-hmm. We run a risk of doing a disservice to all of the information held in folktales when we pretend that they're just for children and they're just mm. infantile when we know that all transmission of information has been a huge part of societies for much like for an incredibly long time Mm -hmm. um it's not it's nowhere near as open to bias and Mm -hmm. inaccuracy as people like to pretend especially stories there's a lot that people want to remember and are very aware of I do have a slightly more hopeful interpretation. I like that. It's, yeah, no, um, we've got too dark and too long. <laughs> so do I, I. I don't feel entirely confident about it because I just feel quite pessimistic. Um, <laughs> but it could also be interpreted as a 
bit of a fantasy mm-hmm. because we have sort we have kind of like she finds him charming she agrees to comb his hair mm-hmm. and we have the savior bull dying at the end and the kelpie ambiguously getting away so it could possibly be a fantasy about um an incredibly dashing and romantic lover that um was then chased off by um, some kind of guardian mm-hmm. and she's hoping that he's out there somewhere and he's alive. That's a much nicer presentation. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm not, not super, I'm not entirely convinced, but I think we could read it that way if we wanted to. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Um, and it's why I enjoy this podcast and why I always enjoyed English literature classes as well. Mm. You can interpret a story in a lot of ways. You can disagree with a lot of the interpretations. Um, And I don't... Barring some clear examples, none of them necessarily are more right than any other. That's the point. Um, Mm -hmm. And, yeah, transitioning then back into a more supernatural interpretation, because, honestly, we do just like magic. Mm. As humans, (laughs) we really... We love stories like that. Maybe it is just a Kelpie. Maybe it is just a magical ball. Who Maybe. knows? <laughs> if so, if so, I want to know the tales about the water ball. I want to know how the wise woman knows that he needs the milk of seven of three <laughs> cows for seven years. Yeah. I want to know how the girl is so relaxed and is just clearly like, hmm. well, this guy who. Clearly a Kelpie. I know exactly how to do this. I'm going to sing that sucker a lullaby. I'm going to get away. Fine. (laughs) And then she's running. And the wise woman's like, hey, the water ball. She's like, oh, of course. (laughs) Of course the water ball is. I I know what I'm doing, grandmother. Don't worry. I'm (laughs) fine. Thank you. Like, I have questions. I want to know Mm -hmm. this, this cultural backdrop that it feels like we should have. Yes, we're clearly expected to know so much mm-hmm. about this already. If it is metaphorical and it's a trauma, mm-hmm. they can't talk about um, they can't they can't talk about that bluntly. But they also can't talk about um, desire blunt bluntly and um, sort of anything out with marriage very bluntly. Mm-hmm. And it's always like, there's a lot going on, possibly, that we're missing, like, that perhaps people of the past would have picked up on, like, they know what a water bull is, they they know this water horse, they know the area, they know what they can and can't say, and they know what subtext they're supposed to be picking up on. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing that I have left that we haven't said is just what we briefly talked about earlier today of the fact that it's just strange to have a Kelpie and a water ball fight because it's not <laughs> like this is a historic rivalry yeah. in the way that you have folk tales of a dog dying for the warrior mm. that it belongs to after killing off several wolves and things like that. Yeah. Or vampires and werewolves if we want to be more mythological about it. Like, mm. Yeah. Usually set that kind of thing up and we're aware of it. It's kind of it's slightly deus ex machina mm-hmm. to just have a water ball here. 
Yeah. But the best folk tales are. So yeah. that's not a criticism. It's we, just we do set it up as like as if that's not meant as if people are meant to hear that and be like, Oh yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. There's no uh, further questions <laughs> yeah. for the walkie ball. It's like That's a reasonable oh. character to just add into the story. I'm like, good thing they have that. You know, my uncle had one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've heard that he had weirdly small ears, but otherwise, top ball. Yeah. Solid beast. <laughs> I always find on a kind of different note, mm-hmm. there, there is something oddly compelling about the wrongness and the warping of these um, companion animals that have been mm. domestic for such a long time. Um, like, I think cows were one of the first animals to be domesticated. Mm-hmm. And we have horses, which are like, kind of like, I would say maybe in these times, only second to dogs as being like, um best friend material but also working animals of course yeah but you don't really ever think or hear about wild horses anymore yeah and then it's that kind of twisting of it of it being um the one that preys on us Hmm. um i wonder if there's any kind of i wonder if there's any kind of anxiety or feeling of Maybe not, but any feeling of wrongness about, like, we're just kind of using these animals and there has to be some sort of supernatural balancing of that. Hmm. Yeah, some some shadowing, some consequence. Yeah. Um, what if the... What if the most friend-shaped animals were not friend-shaped? <laughs> <laughs> what if they ate, they ate meat, specifically human meat? <laughs> That'd be wild. <laughs> That'd be wild, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, and it's evident in the horror genre generally. Mm-hmm. You take something that is supposed to be familiar, that is supposed to be safe, and you make it menacing, you make it murderous, you make it dangerous. We are aware, maybe more subconsciously than consciously, but aware that life is pretty fragile. There are things that we can't explain. Mm-hmm. And so we would like to be able to explain them in some way. And so you get stories, you get supernatural tales, you get things that will help you when you have to face up to everything that we don't know and can't explain and that scares us in a deep, deep psychological way. Yeah, I think some things would be a lot easier to accept if you could just be like, well... There's horses out there that eat people. <laughs> so, is this really that strange? Yeah, like, this not the weirdest thing that I've heard of this week, because a girl in the next village over, she's got a water ball, <laughs> saved her from Kelpie. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, well, wow. do you know what? Talking dog, not that weird. I'm not going to lose any sleep over this. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I suppose as a direct piece of evidence that as human beings, we all just recycle the same thoughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> something in the Briggs book that, again, attributed to Campbell 
So apparently, the narrator prefaced this story by remarking that it was perfectly true, because he had it from a lobster fisher who had it from an old man who'd witnessed the whole scene. And apparently, I think Campbell must have suggested that the old woman was a witch. Um, and <laughs> the narrator, who was telling this tale, said, well, I suppose she was, but I did not hear it. And I love that refusal to engage <laughs> with things beyond your ken and <laughs> above your pay grade. Like, yeah. maybe she was a witch. That's yeah. not important right now. She Frankly. helped. It's nothing to do with me or you, <laughs> and we should just not yeah. speak of that. Witches, they don't exist, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Everything's, she's just a wise old lady. I don't know why you're staring at trouble, good sir. <laughs> I like it. Stay in your lane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway. Stay in your lane. Don't comment on, don't comment on witches. Absolutely not. Kelpies stay in the sea. People stay on the land. <laughs> and you'll be fine. Thank you for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every single week with new folklore content from stories to analysis. So stay tuned. Folklore Scotland is a charity founded to protect and preserve Scottish folklore through taking a multimedia approach to compiling and sharing folktales, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. If you would like to find out more about our charity, visit folklorescotland.com. And if you're keen to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info at folklorescotland.com. You can also find all of our social media links and a link to a written version of this week's story in the show notes. Your hosts this week were Rosie and Kathy, and once again, many thanks to Lindley for the beautiful illustrations for this week's episode. You can find Lindley's website and social media in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.